0: and thank the lord lord god thank you for providing for us lord we confess and acknowledge there is none like you you are the highest good you are the perfect king of the universe our lord and our savior and our desire is for you and you alone to worship and to serve you forever we ask that you would use this money that you have provided for us that we might be able to do so more efficiently and effectively here on earth While we await our glorious reward in heaven with you. We ask all these things in Jesus name. Amen. Church, I'd like you to open up to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We are continuing through our book. We looked at chapter 8 last week. And this week we will actually be looking at the entirety of chapter 9 as well. 27 verses here that we'll read together uh, in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to kind of give our opening illustration or analogy um, out of my life personally, some experiences that I've had. So I've been in student ministry before this for uh, years and years, almost since right out of high school. I was in student ministry, either in an internship position or a volunteer position or full time or part time. And uh, one of the things that I learned about in student ministry is you never really know what to expect. Uh, Brother Terry, I think, would be able to affirm this. You just never quite know what's going to happen. And since I've gotten out of student ministry, I'm learning that that doesn't change when you stop student ministry. I still get phone calls from students. I got one uh, at about 11 or 12 o'clock the other night uh, a few months ago um, of a student that needed to talk. And did I say, well, bro, look, I'm tired and, and I'm a pastor now, so I can't talk to you. No, I said, yeah, I can talk. No, no, I'm not sleepy. What's, what's up? Let's go, bud. Sometimes these phone calls go something like this. There was one individual. This was from Shreveport. I get a phone call, and he's in his car. He's in a Taco Bell parking lot in Bossier. I'm in Benton. And he says, Garrett, uh, are you available to talk? I don't care what you're doing. In that moment, the answer is yes, I'm available. So I said, Yeah, yeah, what's up? He said, I just need to talk. Could you come see me? I said, Sure. Yeah, where are you at? I'm at Taco Bell in Bosier. I'll be right there. So I got in my car. It's probably a 15 minute drive out that way. I get into the Taco Bell parking lot. He's sitting in his car. So I get out of my car and I get in. I said, Hey, what, what's what's going on? It's like one in the morning. What's going on? Oh, I don't know, man. Just thinking about the future. I'm like, okay. So tell me about it. Well, you know, I'm. Planning on doing this, this, and this. Okay, all right. So, so what's what's bothering you? Well, nothing. I just, I don't know. I mean, just you know, a long day. Okay. So, so there, is there anything in particular, like any particular reason you called? I don't know. I just wanted to talk. Okay. <laughs> so I stayed in this car and talked for about an hour. And it was two in the morning. I got to go back home and get in the bed. I'm like, man. And in my mind, I'm thinking, okay. It would have been nice to just not answer that call. Everything would have been okay. I'd have got sleep. There's other phone calls at 10 or 11 o'clock. I still get, uh, even fairly recently, just, hey, just wanted to talk and see how you're doing. I'm like, okay, good. But every now and then, I get a phone call, something to this effect. Brother Garrett, I need to talk. Okay, well, what's up? My life is just falling apart right now. And I know what you said in student ministry all these years, and I heard you say it, and I understood it, I guess, kind of. But now it's real. And I'm having this moment of crisis of belief, and I don't know if I'm a believer. All these other 10 or 11 o'clock or 1 o'clock a.m. phone calls where I answer it and it's really nothing. Those are sacrifices of time that make this phone call worth it. In the moment, it's easy to see that phone ring and to see the person and to think back to, okay, every time I talk to this guy, he wants to talk about something silly and it takes an hour and a half. I really don't feel like doing this right now. And just to ignore the call and leave it alone. But I know that some of the times, even if the other times it's not as serious, I know that sometimes there will be a gospel moment. Someone will be at a moment of crisis. And if I am not in the habit of sacrificing my time in order to answer these phone calls to talk to people, I'm going to miss an opportunity to be faithful to what God has called me to do. If I let my past experiences convince me not to give up time or sleep, I would not be in a place that I needed to be to share the gospel. So here's our main idea this morning. Gospel work motivates sacrificial living. Gospel work motivates sacrificial living. We are still on the sixth topic of about 10 in Paul's letter. Christian rights and freedoms. We started in chapter 8. It goes through the end of chapter 10. So now we're in chapter 9 here. Same kind of idea. Specifically, Paul is arguing for us to give up our Christian rights and freedoms for the sake of ministry. Last week, it was for the good of our brothers and sisters in the church and their growth in the Lord. This week, we're going to see a slightly different emphasis. We'll look at that in just a moment. We're going to go ahead and stand together for the reading of God's word, because it is holy, righteous, good and perfect, equipping us for every good work. First Corinthians nine. I'm going to start in verse one and I'm going to read through verse twenty seven. Here's what God's word says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting. For necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? That in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge, so as not to make full use of my right in the gospel. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? Oh, Lord God, we thank you for your most holy word, Holy Spirit, you who have inspired every word of it, would you please open it to us this morning, giving us depth of understanding and insight that we may not be able to acquire on our own apart from you. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, church. You can be seated. So as a brief reminder, this section covers 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, chapters 8 through 10. Last week, we started by reciting 1 Corinthians ten thirty-one together. And I challenged us as a group to try to memorize this verse to recite over the next several weeks. And so if you need it on the screen, we'll put it up behind me up here. You'll be able to see it. If you think that you have it memorized, I'll challenge you to not look at the screen. You can just look straight ahead. You can look down, whatever pleases you there. And let's recite it together. I will try to remember where the commas are to pause. Here here we go. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Even your pastor is going to make mistakes. This verse summarizes and supports everything in chapters 8 through 10. When it comes to our Christian rights and freedoms, whatever we do, whether enjoyment or sacrifice, it's to be done for the glory of God. So now, coming back to our passage this morning, as it starts in verse 1, if you look through verse Seven Here in the first seven verses, and it really extends past this, but look at the first seven verses and count the number of question marks that you see there in seven verses. We have a total of 10 questions, and every single one of them is a rhetorical question. That means the answers are obvious when he says in uh, chapter nine, verse one. Am I not free? The answer is obvious. Well, yeah, you're free. Am I not an apostle? Well, yeah, you're an apostle. You've seen Jesus. We are your workmanship in the Lord. Yes, you have the right to eat and drink. Yes, you have the right to take a believing wife. Yes, you have the right to refrain from working for a living. No, no one serves at his own expense as a soldier. No, no one plants without eating some of the crops. No, no one tends a flock without getting some of the milk. What Paul is doing here is he's painting a picture. If anyone has the right to anything... And what he is talking about, certainly it's Paul. Well, what right is he talking about? The right to what? Well, there's multiple things. Specifically, if you'll notice, Paul mentions specifically eating and drinking certain things. He mentions marrying, taking a believing wife. And then he mentions being supported in full time ministry. Two of those three examples Paul has already talked about in this book. He's already talked about eating and drinking, and he's talked about marriage. And now he's applying it to himself in order to show the Corinthians how he himself is living out the very things that he is imploring them to live out. We saw that singleness can be good if it's used to serve the Lord. We saw, likewise, that giving up certain foods can be good if it's being used to build up others in the church. And now Paul is admitting, don't I also have these rights? Don't I have a right Like the other apostles to take a believing wife, don't I have the right to eat and to drink? But obviously, Paul is willing to give up those rights. What he's doing is he is making a case for the Corinthians in favor of selfless sacrifice. The first thing he does, which we've already seen, is straightforward instruction. Well, now he is supporting those instructions. He's already told them what to do. Now he wants to give them the proper motivation and the reason behind why they should do the things he's commanding them to do. He's laying a foundation of support. The first way that he does this is by pointing to himself as an example. He isn't just instructing the Corinthians. He's demonstrating for them what it looks like to live out these principles. He says, we should be willing to give up what we eat or drink for the good of our brother and sister. Am I not doing the very same thing? We should be willing to sacrifice potentially a life of marriage if the Lord blesses us to do so. Am I not doing the same thing? He's demonstrating the things that he's saying. Now, for this to work for Paul's. Support to work the rights that he is sacrificing have to actually be genuine rights He already talked about marriage. He talked about food, but then he mentions here the right to compensation in ministry Essentially what he's saying is that the other apostles apostles are supported to minister full-time, but he is not Barnabas is not If the other apostles had this right, surely he has the right Well, to keep from sounding jealous or selfish, Paul continues down in verse 8. He says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same thing? In verses 8 through 14, again, we have seven more rhetorical questions. So in 14 verses... He is pounding them with these questions, with these obvious answers in order to paint a picture and drive home this point. The scriptures teach that gospel workers have a right to be supported and Paul is willing to give it up for the sake of the gospel. Now, it's important for us to see here how Paul is using the scriptures. If you look in verse nine, it says it is written in the law of Moses You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. So here he's quoting Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. And this verse is actually quoted by Paul somewhere else in the New Testament. We've studied it together as a church. On Wednesday nights when I went through 1 Timothy, Paul quotes this exact same passage, Deuteronomy 25, 4. He does it in 1 Timothy 5, verse 18. He mentions... Quote, the elders who rule well, and he says they should be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And then he quotes this passage from Deuteronomy. So he is using this verse on more than one occasion as a way to defend the proposition that we should pay our gospel workers to engage in gospel ministry. What's interesting is this verse doesn't say anything about gospel workers or people, for that matter. The only person mentioned is the one who muzzles an ox. You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. How does Paul use this passage of Scripture to defend the idea that our gospel workers ought to be supported? I want you to look at how he meditates on it in the next verse. He says, is it for oxen that God is concerned? Verse 10, does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more. So Paul isn't just looking at the letter of the law here. He's looking at the spirit of the law. I'm going to take a quick minute to kind of sidetrack to make an important point here. As we get better at studying the Bible, we will move past just viewing the Bible as a list of specific commands to viewing the Bible as both commands and principles. This this book is not just teaching me what to think, but how to think. There's been an interesting trend in education. I'd be curious to know uh, to what degree some of the teachers here might agree with me on this. But it appears to me that the trend in education is moving away from critical thinking to what to think. And I'm going to give this as an example. In student ministry, I've noticed students are more and more hesitant to give answers to questions that they have not been given the answer to. In the past, I would sit in school and my teacher would ask a question, and we haven't gone over this question. We've gone over a ton of material, and using all of that material, I should be able to think through and articulate and formulate a response to an answer. But I've noticed in education, I've had some other teachers kind of confirm this in some of the curriculum, not all of it, but some of it, That we are moving away from critical thinking to more, here's what to think. And we're becoming more and more skeptical of what we have been given to think because we don't know if we can trust it. I think it's really interesting that in education in high school, we have moved away. They used to teach philosophy in high school. They don't teach that in most places anymore. It's, It's set aside for college and collegiate level thinking, but we don't want our younger students thinking about existence ontology, being, why we know we exist. We don't want to think about these deeper things because that might challenge the system. So Paul here is demonstrating for us that the Bible is not just intended to tell me what to think, though it certainly does tell me what to think. The Bible is intended to shape the way that I think. That's what it talks about in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to discern the perfect will of God. I won't necessarily know what college should I go to. Open my Bible and it tells me. Instead, the Bible has shaped my thinking so that my college choice is based off of ideas that I get from the scriptures. As we get better at studying the Bible, we will begin to view it in this way. In hermeneutics, this is known as looking for the timeless principle of a text. What timeless truth does a passage teach me and how can I apply it to my life? If you read Deuteronomy 25.4, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. You may walk away thinking, OK, well, I don't deal with oxes or grain, so this verse doesn't apply to me. But there is a timeless truth here for us to extract, to use. Jesus does the same thing in Matthew 5 through 7. He repeats this phrase. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you in the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard, don't murder. I say, don't hate. Takes it a step further. You've heard, no adultery. I'm telling you, don't even lust. You've heard... If you swear, you better keep your word. I'm saying to you, always keep your word. Note that Jesus doesn't dismiss the letter of the law. That still applies. He's not saying, you've heard it was said, don't murder. That's not really the law. The law is actually don't hate. Murder is fine. He doesn't say that. He's saying, you've heard it was said, do not murder. That's absolutely true. I want you to look deeper than just don't murder and ask, Why is that bad? And when you do, you're going to come to the conclusion, well, really, this is showing me that I ought not to hate my brother and sister that might lead me into murder. Whenever we look at the command to not give false testimony, we will look deeper and to see, okay, the intent here is talking about deceit. It's possible to be deceitful without technically telling a lie. We look for that deeper principle and we apply it to our lives. Well, now, whenever we look here in 1 Corinthians, as Paul is quoting Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, the general principle here that he is extracting from this text is that a worker ought to be supported for the work that's being done. If someone looked at this text and said, "Okay, I didn't put a muzzle on my ox when I sent him out. But then at the same time, this individual has paid workers that he is robbing of their wages. He has violated the heart of the command. Surely God didn't just write it for the animals. He's trying to shape a certain heart in his people. So he says here in verse 14, In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. So Paul has the right to compensation for his gospel work. But he willingly gave up that Right, He made a sacrifice. And his example is meant to spur on the Corinthians to the same way of thinking and living. This is the first way that Paul supports his instructions to the Corinthians, his example. But there's a second way. Look here in verse 12, the second half. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. So Paul doesn't just want them to follow his example. He wants them to understand what motivates him to sacrifice his rights. Why are you giving this up? He says, here's what you ought to do. Look at me doing it. Now look at why I'm doing it. He wants them to understand that what motivates him to sacrifice his rights is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Specifically, that the gospel would spread he wants to remove every obstacle that might exist for someone to hear and understand and accept the gospel the reason that paul brings all this up is not so that the corinthians will pay him he says it in verse 15 as we continue i've made no use of any of these rights nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. So in verses 15 through 18, as we move forward, he wants them to understand that he made a sacrifice and why he made it. He's not trying to suddenly get a paycheck from the Corinthians. That would be lost for him. It would remove his ground for boasting. He preached the gospel to them in verse 18 free of charge so that they might know how sincerely Paul believed what he was preaching. In this way, Paul's free preaching is actually grounds for boasting. It proves that in verse 16 he's preaching out of necessity. Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. It doesn't matter whether I get paid or not. I have to preach. So I'm glad that I didn't get paid so that I can point to it now and say, look, I'm not doing this for the paycheck. I'm doing it because I sincerely have to do it. It's true. To Paul, the money isn't the reward of preaching. The reward is found in being faithful regardless of whether he gets supported or not. It's similar to when you say, thank you for helping me. Let me repay you. And then someone says, no, no, no. This is a blessing to me. That's payment enough. It's the same thing that Paul is saying here. What we see here is that obedience is not optional. It's expected. The blessing of obedience is. Does not come from being rewarded for it because we need to do it anyway. Woe to me if I don't do it. The reward is not in, in being obedient. Rather, the blessing of obedience comes as you sacrifice in order to accomplish it. Paul's ground for boasting wasn't that he proclaimed the gospel. It was in the fact that he was able to do it free of charge. That is what filled him with joy and accomplishment is that he was able to sacrifice for obedience. So then moving forward, as we get down to verse 19 from 19 to 23, we see here the heart of Paul's motivation. He's motivated in verse 19 to become a servant to all. So that in verse 22, that by all means I might save some. So he goes through this list. To the Jews, I became as a Jew. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. I became like the weak, that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. The way that he becomes a servant to all Is through sacrifice. Giving up his rights. That's the secret. And the reason he does it. Is that by all means. Some might be saved. If you were guaranteed. That by sacrificing your rights as a Christian. Someone would be saved. Is that not worth it? Aren't you glad that someone sacrificed their rights for you so that you could hear the gospel? That some VBS worker lost her mind and said, I want to watch kids for a week and shared the gospel with you. There was a picture that one of the workers shared. I don't remember who shared it. (laughs) This worker all dressed up and everything. on It's like, start of VBS. And then the end of VBS are like hairs all pulled out and like faces all wrinkly and. It's like I've been through the ringer. There is sacrifice that comes with that. Aren't you glad that we have people that have sacrificed for you? So what Paul says is, I've become all things to all people that I might save some. What he's implying is, therefore, we all ought to do that. This is what we all ought to do. Paul wanted to become like the people he's trying to. To reach, I do not. If you know me uh, a little bit about my eating habits, you know that number one, I don't cook food. Don't, that's not good. Okay, thank the Lord for my wife. Another thing you'll know about me is I'm not really a fan of spicy foods. I I don't like for my mouth to be in pain while I'm eating, I like for it to be painless enjoyment. But some people are weird, they like the pain. Okay, that's fine. Well, I picked up Raju. And I know that they have a different diet. And so I said, look, I want to get food for you as we go back to Gina. You know, what, what can we have? And he said, well, just no beef and no pork, If chicken if possible. I said, okay. And it sounded like they don't really eat a lot of fast food. And so I reached out to Chip, actually. I haven't told you this yet. I reached out to Chip, and I'm looking for – they were looking for an Indian grocery store. The one that they found was Vietnamese, didn't have the things they needed and so we're trying to look for one. They go into Max Fresh Market there, and uh, Chip calls me, and he gives me a recommendation for a store. And then he says, also, there's this Indian restaurant over here. That may be a good resource to maybe ask and see where we might could get some Indian uh, vegetables and that sort of thing. And so Raju gets back in the truck, and we're driving, and we have to go right by the Kroger where the store is right behind it. And I mentioned to him my conversation with Chip. And I said, yeah. And Chip said that there's an Indian restaurant. Actually, I think that's it right there with the orange sign. And that it's right next to this Kroger. Maybe Kroger would have some of what we need. And maybe we can go ask him. And he said, okay, would you want to go sit down and eat in there? And he has not been very forward about what they want. So for him to step out and say, I think we should go there. I was like, you know, okay, let's do it. So we pull in, and all I'm thinking is... All I've seen in movies, people sit down at these Indian restaurants and they start eating the food and then like their nose just starts running profusely. They're crying. Their mouth is on fire. And I'm thinking, oh, dear Lord, please be gracious to me in my mouth tonight. And we go in this restaurant. He said, have you ever had Indian? I said, no, I've never had Indian. And I wasn't about to tell him I didn't like spicy food because then they would say, well, no, no, let's not do this. So I go into the restaurant we sit down, and I'm looking at the menu, and I don't. I hear some descriptions, but I really don't know what I'm expecting. And he's looking, and he just leans forward and says, we're going to get this and this and this. You and I are going to share this, and then we're going to get this. I said, okay, let's do it. <laughs> so we ordered it. He brings the food out. It was crazy good. It was crazy good. And I'm eating, and I'm dipping the bread in the sauce with this chicken and eating it. And as I'm eating, I'm thinking, OK, it's not And the spice starts to hit me, but it's not a typical spiciness that you would expect. It's hard to explain. It's different. He has this other dish. He offers some to me. It's rude to refuse. I said, OK, I'll try some and I'm eating it. This is much spicier, much spicier. I did not say a word to this brother. I will not say a word to this brother. If he invites me back to eat again, you know what I will do? I will eat the spicy food and wipe my nose later. Why? Because I want to have a relationship with him through the gospel. Likewise, he is willing to sacrifice here and has made several sacrifices to be here. Why does he do that? To make relationships with the gospel. Am I saying that in that moment it would have been a sin for me to go and get something with pork or beef? No. But it sure is worth. And I'm glad afterwards, having left, I'm glad that I spent the time with him doing that. It is worthy for us to make these sacrifices if we can become like someone in order to develop a relationship with them for the gospel it is worth whatever sacrifice is necessary now i want to point out that in verse 20 as he goes through this list i'm just going to give you one example he says it a couple of times he says to the jews i became as a jew in order to win jews to those under the law i became as one under the law though not being myself under the law That I might win those under the law. So he became like one under the law, though he himself is not under the law. So what we need to see here is that what we're talking about is not compromise in order to reach others with the gospel. That's how we see some in our culture use this passage today. I'm becoming all things to all people that I might win some. And what they mean by that is I'm going to compromise in my holiness so that I might reach someone with the gospel. That's not what Paul is talking about here. He says I am not under the law. I'm not going to suddenly put myself under that bondage. But I will become like this individual. So that I might be able to reach them. We are not called to give up our holiness. We're called to give up our freedom. We need to do What we can to reach all we can with the good news of the gospel. And this means that we become intentional about our sacrifices. And this leads kind of to our final few verses here starting in verse 24. He says, run that you may obtain the prize. Only one receives the prize. Run that you may obtain it. Athletes have to train to win. And they train knowing there is only one winner. So when they are training, they are eating different things they are putting their body through different exercises and both of these forms of training require self-control we see that in verse 25 every athlete exercises self-control in all things for an athlete that means giving up certain foods giving up maybe something that's deep fried and delicious giving up comfort it means making room for healthy foods, making room for exercise. So what he's arguing for here isn't just self-control, it's intentional self-control. You don't just randomly decide what foods to give up. Oh, I'm going to spin a wheel, I'm going to give up broccoli and chocolate and this and that, that be my diet. No, it requires intentional sacrifice. Paul uses the analogy here specifically for holiness. We see in verse 27, he doesn't want himself to be disqualified, but he's using it more generally about proclaiming the gospel. He just made the case that that sharing the gospel happens through sacrifice. So with all of that foundation being laid, I'm going to give us a few overall applications from this morning that kind of run through the course of the text. Here's one for us. Number one, in thinking about the motivations for intentional sacrifice, sacrifice aids obedience. Sacrifice aids obedience. Now, I want to make a quick distinction here. Sacrificing certain Christian rights is optional. The sacrifice is optional. It's a Christian right because by definition I have the right to it. So, sacrificing our rights is optional, but obedience is not. And sometimes I think we want recognition not just for sacrificing, but for obedience. Look at me, I I, I obeyed. Look, I shared the gospel, I did it. As if that was somehow something extra. The sacrifice is the extra, the obedience is what's expected. Paul didn't consider proclaiming the gospel to be optional. He said in verse 16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Now payment or no payment, that's optional. I can preach the gospel while I'm getting paid. I can preach the gospel for free. But he can and would preach the gospel with or without what he had a right to. For us this morning, proclaiming the gospel is not optional. It is not I'll be honest with the church. Proclaiming the gospel is hard. It is hard work. It means putting yourself in an awkward situation sometimes with someone that you know. It means putting forth work and effort. We'll look at that in just a moment. We should not let the burden of being put in an uncomfortable position keep us from obedience. Because obedience is not optional. It is required. What is optional is what we may or may not give up in order to help us be obedient. For instance, sitting on the couch and enjoying an evening is optional. Sharing the gospel is not. I can actually do both of those things. But it may be that by giving up my evening on the couch, I might be helped to be more obedient to my calling as a Christian to share the gospel. It doesn't make that sacrifice necessary. But the question becomes, if this is what's preventing me from being obedient, am I then willing to give it up even though it's not necessary technically? So sacrifice is a tool to be used to help us to be obedient. Sacrifice makes obedience easier and more effective. And don't we all want obedience to be easier? I do. I want sharing the gospel to be easier. I don't want it to be harder. I want to be more comfortable sharing the gospel. So then what do I do? I have to make certain sacrifices so that that obedience becomes easier. That's the first motivation. Sacrifice aids obedience. Now, there are some times that we are not obedient because we are not willing to sacrifice. That leads to the second point for us this morning. Sacrifice fights our selfishness and our Laziness. Sacrifice fights our selfishness and our laziness. They are opposed to one another. They are enemies. We saw the theme of selfishness in chapter 8 last week. This week, we see that selfishness is not the only enemy of sacrifice. Laziness is too. First, I want you to think about Paul's example. He could have exercised his right to avoid working for a living since he's a gospel worker. But he chose to work on his own to raise his own support in order to preach to them for free. He had to put forth work in order to sacrifice. That doesn't make sense. You're basically making two sacrifices. But he did. If he was a lazy man, he would not have done that. He would have said up front, Now look, I I will come and proclaim the gospel to you, but I need support. He didn't do that. That's his example. But then think about his analogy. Paul supports everything that he's saying with an analogy of competing and training, which require self-control and discipline. Simply put, it's hard work. No pain, no gain. It takes hard work. While we often don't sacrifice our rights out of selfishness, we sometimes don't sacrifice ourselves. Out of laziness. It might mean that I have to learn something new. It might mean that I have to learn to do something in a different way. It might mean that I have to do something that I've already had to do before. And now I've got to do it again. Put forth more effort. Give up time that I have to relax. Related to the eating of food that Paul talked about. It might mean that I have to learn new recipes. I have to shop at different stores. I have to change my diet. I have to eat spicy food sometimes. Related to relationships with one another. It might mean that I have to participate in activities that are harder for me. That I don't like. It might mean that I have to spend time with someone else who is less competent in an area. In order to help them grow and patiently endure. It might mean that I have to help someone or multiple someones work through their problems related to sharing the gospel. It might mean that I have to study the gospel or Christian theology. It might mean that I have to learn ways to communicate more effectively. It might mean that I might have to get to know people more deeply in hopes of witnessing to them. I have to strike up relationships. You know what all this sounds like to me? Work. I'm here to tell you that work is good. Before sin entered the world, guess what we had? Work. We should not run from it. It may be that your key to sacrificing your Christian rights and freedoms lies not just in fighting selfishness, but laziness. Number three. Sacrifice adds weight to our testimony. Sacrifice adds weight to our testimony. Paul's testimony to the gospel was helped by the fact that he sacrificed his right to compensation. That's the whole first part of this text. It added weight to what he was saying. In the same way, when we are willing to endure what we don't like... Or to give up what we love in the name of Christianity, even if I'm not verbally communicating the gospel in that exact moment, I'm communicating something about my belief in the gospel. I'm demonstrating I actually believe what I say I believe. And you know it because I'm willing to give things up for it. That's why Jesus hit on this theme frequently. To follow me, you must pick up your cross daily and follow We must be willing to give up the world or else we will lose our soul. Why do athletes train? Because they really believe they can win. Why go through all the effort of becoming like other people? Because we believe that they really can be saved. Why go through all the effort of VBS and teaching these Bible stories to these students? Because I really believe they can make a genuine decision, even at this age. Why do families pack up and move overseas to live in a foreign culture and country? Because they really believe that people are lost and going to hell. Our message as Christians is this. We have died to ourselves. It's no longer we who live, but Christ lives in us. How well do you think that message is going to be received when it's accompanied by selfish? Lazy, sacrificeless lives. I don't belong to myself anymore, but I can't give this up because I love it. That really doesn't pack a very powerful punch. Maybe a more pointed or a more important question would be what does it say to you personally about your own testimony? if you really are in Christ, and if you really are not your own, but your life communicates the opposite, the question we must ask is, am I really in Christ? We have been bought by the blood and life of Jesus. We do not belong to ourselves anymore. Despite what the culture tells you, Your happiness is not the highest aim in life. Living for Christ is. And here's the irony. When you get that and live for Christ, you will be the happiest you've ever been. Church, let us honor Christ through willing sacrifice for the sake of the gospel for the glory of God. When this is our motivation, sacrifice will come to us much more naturally. Let's pray. Lord God, I confess to you that I am selfish, that I am lazy. I know that these tendencies seek to draw me away from the sacrifices that I need to make in my life to be more effective and efficient in being obedient. I confess to you that I sometimes view obedience as optional. That I somehow think that I'm worthy of praise because I have done something that really is just expected. Lord, forgive me of my selfishness, of my laziness, my lack of obedience. Generate within me a desire to give up and to sacrifice time, work, effort, pleasures, worldly pleasures, so that I might be in a better position. To see the gospel spread in my life. Lord as a church. We ask that you would work through us. Teaching and leading us. To sacrifice for others. For the good of the gospel. Lord even if we don't know what that's going to look like today. Make us sensitive to these opportunities as they come up in our daily lives, in our church's life. Lord, we want to be a living sacrifice as you were a living sacrifice, giving yourself up for us that our sin might be forgiven for all those who turn to you. Teach us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.